You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the wonderful book of James. James. James chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. James chapter 2. Um, James is uh, in, the, in the New Testament, back towards the back. If you're having trouble finding it, if you find Hebrews, um, just turn to the right. One book. You can always remember it by Hebrews coffee for James. Hebrews. Some of you will get that later this afternoon when you wake up. Hebrews coffee for James. Hebrews two cups for Peter, first and second Peter. Okay, I'll stop there. James, James chapter 2. You good? Are you, you good this morning? Everybody good? All right, okay. It's just kind of quiet. Though I know those were bad jokes, but I just thought something. James chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. I've entitled the message, Loving Our Neighbor. If you look on the screen, this is, um, uh, you, you see the name of the church, our, our logo, and then you see our, our purpose statement, our mission statement at the bottom. This is pretty soon going to be on our uh, sign out uh, front that's, uh, that's uh, being reworked. Uh, loving God, loving our neighbor, and living on mission. This is our mission statement. Loving God, loving our neighbor, and living on mission. This comes right out of scripture. It's not, uh, uh, it's not, um, New to me, it's not new to us, it's, it's Matthew chapter 22, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, we're going to look at that text here in just a moment, love your neighbor as yourself is the second part, and then Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all nations, that's the living on, on mission part, loving God, loving our neighbor, and living on mission. It's been said that culture eats mission statements for breakfast. Culture eats mission statements or vision statements, purpose statements for breakfast. Meaning this, that you can say one thing, you can put something on a sign, you can put it on your shirt, you can have it at the bottom of your email, your signature, which I do. But the culture, what you do, eats what you say for breakfast. You following me? You see, it would be really bad advertisement for us as a church to put this on the sign to say, this is who we are. First Baptist Church Farwell, when you see this logo, you can identify this is us. First Baptist Church Farwell, and this is who we are. Loving God with all that we have. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. And as we go throughout the day, we are living on mission. It would be bad advertisement if that was on our sign, and that's who we say we are, yet if we chose not to love God with our actions, if we chose not to love God with what we say, if we chose not to love our neighbor as ourself with our actions or by what we say, and if we never went and lived our life on mission. You see, that would be bad advertisement, right? That would be culture. What we do is eating what we say for breakfast. And this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to, for, for many of us, this is going to be a great uh, reminder. I hope there's, uh, I hope there's maybe some, some conviction because it's so easy for us to love the neighbors we know and are lovable. It's oftentimes hard for us to love the people we don't know or even the unlovable. 
And so James, what James is going to do, I, I love what Johnny Hunt says. J James, the book of James is shoe leather Christianity. It, 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 takes, it takes the gospel and it puts leather soles on it and you walk it out as you read the book of James, as you study the book of James. What James does, James takes, you could take Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and what James does is he lives it. He teaches us how to live out the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we're going to see in our text this morning in James chapter 2. The Bible is one grand story from Genesis to Revelation. The story is about the need for a Savior in the Savior's name is Jesus Christ. There are two prominent themes within the grand narrative of Scripture. And they are the way to God. If you think about it, from the very beginning, God has been making a way for us to spend eternity with him. From the very beginning, from the fall of Adam and Eve, God has been making a way and showing that a Savior is coming. So that's the first underlying theme. The, the second underlying theme is our walk with God. Both our way to God and our walk to, uh, with God is through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Our walk with God is not to be done. Our obedience, maybe just made, let me make this really, really simple. Our obedience to what we're going to see this morning is not to be done to win favor with God. As a child of God, we've already won favor with him. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Not by anything that we have done, but by what his son Jesus Christ has done. And so our obedience to so what we're going to see here in James chapter 2 is not to win favor with God, but out of an overflow of what he has done for us live in such a way to bring honor and glory to him. Now, you might be surprised to know that the majority of scripture is written to the believer. That doesn't, that's not to say that unbelievers can't learn from it. Absolutely, they can learn from it. They can, they can read the Word of God. They can hear the Word of God preached. And they can hear the Word of God taught. And they can be convicted. And they can be drawn to Jesus Christ. That's, that's how it happens, by the Word of God. But the majority of Scripture is written to the believer to help them grow and to know what God's desire and what God's plan is for them in their life. And that's what we're going to see in James chapter 2. The book of James teaches us to live boldly for Jesus Christ. To live counter the culture that we live in. That's what James is teaching us. The book of James challenges us. And you're going to see that here this morning. Turn, turn to James. If you, oh, I hope you're already there. James chapter 2. You there? You ready? Let's look at it. The first 13 verses of James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, he's talking to believers here again. Remember, my brothers and my sisters in Christ. He's not talking about necessarily his, he's not using slang. He's not talking about his blood family necessarily, but brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's the command, you ready? Do not show favoritism. Or maybe some of your translations will say partiality. Do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's going to give us a scenario here. And it's, it's a scenario that might be a little bit extreme that I don't think any of us would, would, would fall into intentionally, uh, I don't believe. But, but he's, he's 
proving a point here. Look at the first scenario. For if someone comes into your meeting, and James is clearly talking about the synagogue. If someone was to come into your synagogue, if someone was to come into your church wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. He asks a rhetorical question that I believe is a resounding yes. I think we can answer it. Here's the first question. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Yes. That's, that's exactly what has happened here. Look at verse 5. It's another command. Listen. Huh. I can't say that without. Listen, Linda. Listen. Like, listen. Like, come on. Like, don't just hear me, but James is saying, listen to me. Don't miss this. My dear brothers and sisters. He knows what he is saying is hard. Because you, like he's, he's reminding me, not only are you my brothers and my sister, but you're my dear brothers and sisters. I love you. Didn't God, here's the second question. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? And, and again, rhetorical question, but let's answer it. Yes. Yes, God chose the poor in this world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. But verse 6, there's a contrast. Yet, God has done this. He's chosen them. Yet, this is what God has done. God has chosen them, but look at what you are doing. Yet, you have dishonored the poor. Again, a question. Don't the rich oppress you? He's like, he's like look, you've been on the receiving end of this. Not only have you done this, but you've been on the receiving end of it and you hate it. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Two questions and the answers are yes and yes. And then verse 8, he gives us another scenario. Indeed. If you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, watch this, here it is. It's Matthew chapter 22, the, the, the second greatest command. First is to love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Look what he says. He, he calls it the royal law, the primary law, the royal law prescribed in Scripture. If you fulfill this, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, or if, however, you show partiality or discrimination, you commit sin or, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He gives some rationale here. He's not just pulling this out of thin air. He's, so he gives us some rationale. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the entire law... <clears throat> 
and yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking it. Remember James is talking to, James is a, a Jew, now a believing Jew, believing that Jesus Christ, his older brother, is the Messiah. And he's primarily talking to a group of Jews who, who were happy to say that they could fulfill all of the law. And now he is pointing out one that they probably, oh, they just kind of pushed to the side. Like, oh, that's really not, that's a, that's a gray area. It's, yeah, that's just a little white lie. That's just a little white sin, little, you know, it's not a big deal. Whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. And then again, he gives us some more rationale. Verse 11, it's not just, it's, it's not just, this is historically true. This is what we see throughout Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament. <laughs> now he's going to draw on the very it's all the word of God, the Old Testament, but now he's going to draw on the very words of God. Look at verse 11. For he, this is God, who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Verse 12. Two commands. Speak. It's written in such a way, it's like, don't, don't just say it once, I, I love my neighbor, I love others. But speak and continue to speak, act and, and continue to act as those who, who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy. Oh, here's the warning. Man, listen, I, I, I highlight this, mark this in your scripture, but here's the warning. Here's why we ought to be obedient to this command. Do not show partiality. Do not show favoritism. For judgment is without mercy. Mercy is, is when God withholds something that we deserve. When God withholds punishment because we deserve punishment. God withholds it because he has poured out his mercy on us. But look at what it says. Here's the caution. Verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, I pray as we unpack these scriptures, as we try to apply these scriptures, God, you would be by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you would be the one who does the surgery in our heart that brings to mind the specific areas of our life where we might be guilty of this. Oh God, may we know everyone hearing this message, may we know your grace, may we know your mercy that you have given to us May we be reminded of the love that you have shown us when we were unlovable. How you chose to love us before we could ever choose to love you. Father, we love you. It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Let's, let's look at this. James presents his case against partiality against favoritism. He says here, verse, verse 1, it's the first command right out of the box. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith. Children of God, 
As you hold on to the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Don't show favoritism. James is talking to a group of people who claim to be children of God, who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he commands them. He's commanding us. When I was studying this and thinking about this, I, I, wrote, it in my, I wrote it in my Bible just for it to be a solid reminder. Why is this in our Bible in 2021? It's right there. It's highlighted. Why is this in our Bible in 2021? Outside of the fact that God's word never changes. God's word we're not to take away. We're not to add to it, right? How did God know that we would struggle with this in 2021? Well, because he's God, right? And he knows that, that sinful man, this is what comes natural to us. The sinful man says, man, I'm going to love those who are lovable. I'm going to love those who are loving me in return. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, accept those who have something to add to my value. But those who don't, <clears throat> you know, they're just kind of outside of, my, outside of my, my vision. They're outside of my box. That's why it's in the Bible. God's Word, and this shows, listen church, this shows that God's Word is timeless. That God's Word is as relevant today than when James penned these words by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's relevant for us today. Okay, I gotta find this. That wasn't in my notes. That was like, oh, I gotta find where I was at here. Okay, bear with me. Okay, yeah, here we go. Here's his command. He says, do not show favoritism. It, it literally means the partiality. Don't show partiality. Being partial to others based on a person's status, based on their appearance, based on their economic sta- uh, standing, based on the, the color of their skin, based on any other external matters. James is saying, don't. Don't show favoritism. And, and, and I believe that James is calling to question the viability of their faith. If we say that we love God with our lips, but continually and habitually show partiality to His creation, remember, all people are His created beings. We show partiality to His creation with our hearts and show favoritism to only those who add to our cause, or we show favoritism to those who, can, those who can add value to us. Listen, we are being partial. We are showing favoritism. And James would say, if you only have time or room in your life for those who add to your social credit, or at the least cost nothing to your social credit, you are showing favoritism. Listen, write this, write this statement down. Time and energy are mirrors reflecting at their core what truly matters in our life. Let me say that again. Time and energy are mirrors reflecting at their core what truly matters in our life. Our time and our energy reveal what truly matters in our life. James would say, if you build your box and only allowed in that box people, only have time for people in that box who add value to your life, you are showing 
favoritism. And because that attitude is so counter to God's character and the character that he is building inside of us, James, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls to question whether or not that a person has a genuine relationship with James' words, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us, he gives us this all too familiar example to consider. Look again at verses 2, 2 and 3. James chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He, so he, he, he kind of gives us a, a scenario. He does give us a scenario here. If someone comes into your meeting... Now, I believe that James is talking clearly about the church, the synagogue. But I want to remind you that as Christians, having the Holy Spirit inside of us, being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, listen, we take the church wherever we go. And so not only are we talking about in the church, but this is wherever we go throughout our day. For if someone comes into your circle, into your meeting Wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, Oh, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, Stand over there, or come in and sit here on the floor by my footstool. Which there's a, that word footstool would be the, that'd be the, the place of the, not just the slave, but the lowest of the lowest slaves. The ones who would wash the feet those who would come into your house. That's what he's saying. And I, I wonder if many in this room have ever felt what this scenario feels like. I don't know. But some of you have. Some in this room, you have felt what this scenario has felt like. You've been on the receiving end of this. Here's what I found. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the most gracious people are people who have been hurt deeply and wounded deeply, yet they've overcome that situation that they were in. This is a story you see in Scripture where the woman who comes and, and, and washes Jesus' feet, pours perfume on his feet, and dries his feet with her hair. She is, she's been on the receiving end. Of some negative press. Of some hatred. And she has experienced the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And her, her, her love and her extravagance knows no bounds. And she does the unthinkable. Dries a man's feet with her hair. Hearing what James says here in the, in the command and in the scenario and knowing his background can make you wonder if James had seen this attitude among the body of Christ. It's very probable James has experienced this up close and personal on the bad side of things. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He wasn't rich by any means. His family was simple carpenters. And as he entered the synagogue on each Sabbath morning, I'm sure he didn't draw a crowd asking to be seated at the best seat. He didn't have anything to offer to them. And I'm sure 
as James's older brother Jesus became more counterculture to the Jewish customs, James might have even been asked not to even come back to the synagogue because of what his brother was doing, what his brother Jesus was doing. You see, James didn't add value to anyone's worth. And I just wonder if he had felt the pain and thought to himself, how could Christ followers act like this? After Jesus had resurrected and made himself known to over 500 people, and after he had ascended into heaven, and the reality of who he was had began to be realized by more and more people, again, it just makes me wonder, did James's value increase? As Jesus's value increased, and as, as, as James being so closely connected to Jesus, did his value increase as well? You see, at one time, James was, was the brother of that troublemaker in Jerusalem. And now he is the brother of the Messiah. And now all of a sudden, James is used to being pushed off to the footstool. Now he's being asked to be seated at the head table. I wonder if that's what maybe has spurred this thinking on in James's life. Again, it just makes me wonder if he's experienced this unchristlike character of favoritism in his own life being on both sides of the spectrum look at verse 4 James is talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ he's given them the command he's given them the scenario and now he says haven't you made like, haven't you done this? He knows they've done it. Maybe he has done it himself as well. He's definitely experienced it. Haven't you made among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, this is showing favoritism based on status, based on color of skin, based on value that someone can place on our life is in direct opposition to our faith. And James says you become like that of a, uh, of a corrupt judge. No one wants to stand in front of a corrupt judge. And here are the verses that we're looking at that James is giving us. They bring up the subject of lawsuits. That the, hear me when I say this, the unbelieving rich are bringing against Christians. See, the church was... The church, the early church was shunned in Jerusalem. They were pushed to the edges. Many of the early believers lost their jobs, lost their, their, not only their income, but they lost their houses because they were following this man named Jesus. They were, they were pushed out. James is saying, you've been on the receiving end of this and you hate it and now you're doing it. Verse 4, again, it, it asks this question that we have to answer in our own hearts, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The answer is a resounding yes. We know that we're guilty of this. We know that we have shown favoritism in our meetings, in our conversations, at restaurants, in our community activities. And hear me, favoritism is inconsistent with the Word of God. 
Let me show you three scriptures really quickly. Let me, let's go through these really quickly. Write these down in the margin of your Bible. Romans chapter 2 verse 11 says this. There is no favoritism with God. Listen, favoritism is inconsistent with the very word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9. And masters... Treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Him being who? God. Again, I think it's important here for us to understand that the Bible is not always, not every verse is, is, is prescriptive. It's prescribing something that we ought to do. Sometimes it's describing something. And here it's describing a, a very ugly time in history of, of slavery. Here the writer of Ephesians is saying, listen, you, 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 your God and their God is the very same. Their master and your master is the very same. So treat them well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and verse 25. Look at what it says. What, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Favoritism is inconsistent with the Word of God, and it is inconsistent with the very character of God. The glorious character of Jesus Christ is the character of the God of the universe. And mankind is created in his image. You and I, all of God's creation is created, all of mankind is created in his image. Look at verse 5. Look at what he says. Listen, dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Is James saying here, I want to clear this up because I don't want there to be any confusion. Is James saying that, that God is partial towards the financially poor? No, of course not. There's no favoritism. There's no partiality. So what is he saying here? The greatest characteristic of God is his complete impartiality. And, and, and I struggled here with this. I, I found, uh, I found a, a great quote by a theologian by the name of William Barclay. It'll be on the screen. L read this with me. Or you don't have to read it out loud, but just follow along with me. Huh? Look at what he says. James is not shutting the door on the rich. Far from it. He is saying that the gospel of Christ is specially dear to the poor and that in it there is a welcome for the man who is none to welcome him. He has nothing to bring to God. And that through it there is a value valueless. God places value on those who have nothing to give to him. And you know who those people are? <laughs> you and I. We have nothing to offer to God. God, there's, there's nothing. There's, there's nothing that you and I can say, Oh God, will you take this and we would, we would increase God's value. 
Nothing, I have nothing, there's no one in here, no one in the world that can do that. When I die, heaven will not be a better place because I'm there. Heaven is a great place. Heaven is heaven because God is there. And it's just saying here that God places value on those who have nothing to give value to him. And that is the character of God. And as Christians, little Christ, little Jesus Christ on earth, his representatives here on earth, that's who we ought to be as well. Verse 8. It says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law, Prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. I believe James is showing a little bit of sarcasm here. He's definitely pointing back to uh, the Old Testament, Leviticus, pointing back to, to Matthew chapter 22, uh, the, the, the great commandment. But he knows everyone struggles with this. He knows that we, we, we struggle with loving our neighbor as ourselves. A selective love based on what someone adds to my value is really no love at all. Christ-like love is a love with no strings attached. And I'm going to love you even if you hurt me. I'm going to love you with no strings. You, no, it doesn't matter if you, if you add something to me or not. I am going to love you as Christ has called me to love you. And so in verse 8... James is saying, like, you've got this whole loving thing down pat, and you're all good, right? But if you show favoritism, verse 9 quickly follows on the heels of that, but if you show favoritism, you commit sin or convicted by the law as transgressors. So what does he say we do about it? Well, we don't, we don't. We don't show favoritism. We don't show partiality. There's the command. But let's move quickly into some application. Two, two application points really quickly and then we're going to be done. You ready? The first is this, found in verse 12. Here's what we say. He's like, Here, here's the don't. And let's not just focus on the don't. Let's focus on the do as well. You see, if we will get busy doing the do, we won't have time to do the don'ts. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not going to say that again. I'm not sure I can. Verse 12. Look at what it says. Speak. Keep on speaking. Act, keep on acting as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. Here's application point number one. Let scripture, not your history, be your example. Let me say that again. Let scripture, not your history, be your example. Instead of excusing your favoritism, instead of excusing your partiality or your prejudice with, prejudices with statements like, well, that's just the way I am. Well, that's the way I was raised. That's the way I was brought up. Let Scripture be your example. Let Scripture be your God or be your guide and let God guide you. To think, to speak, and to act in a way that is according to his word. Number one, let scripture, not your history, be your example. Number two, application point number two. Let mercy be your message. This is good. Let mercy be your message. Verse 13 says this, for judgment is without mercy. 
Man, there's such a warning there. Let judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen, when you are motivated by the law of love, you will exude mercy in your relationships. What is the law of love? the, The law of love is how we were loved. Jesus Christ first loved us. Just as Jesus has loved us, we are called to love others. That is the law of love. Mercy triumphs judgment. Who cares if they have anything to add value value to our life? Let's show mercy. Definitely here. As we go out into the world, for sure. Absolutely. How would you respond? How would you respond if someone you had known for a long time, good friend, but maybe it's kept this part from you because of embarrassment or shame, said, hey, I have a past like the woman at the well. I have a past like the woman who was caught in adultery. I have a past like the apostle Paul. Oh, I used to hate Christians. I used to hate the word of God. You, and maybe you've, been, you've known them for a long time. You, you'd be shocked by it. You'd be set back like, how come you've held this from me? Would you, would you reject them at that moment? No, none of you would. You wouldn't reject them because they have a past. What if we gave the same grace to people on the front end that we are giving to people on the back end? That's what James is telling us to do. Let's give that grace. Let's give that mercy. On the front end, draw close and be who God has called us to be. Loving Him with all that we have. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Why? Because that's how Jesus has loved us. And then go and be disciples. And let's not make it just a slogan. Let's not make it just a sign. Let's not just make it a a t-shirt or a signature on an email. Let's make it who we really are. Let's let it be our culture, not just a slogan, but let's let it be our culture. I'm so thankful. Listen, I genuinely am thankful. This is who we are at the core of our church. I have seen this church over, I have had the privilege of coming in 2002 as a youth minister. So now almost 20 years, that's crazy, right? Almost 20 years I've been able to see this church and being able to see how you have loved and cared for and taken care of people. Let's keep on and let's grow in that. Amen. Thank you for joining us for worship at FBC Farwell. If you made a decision for Christ, please let us know by contacting Pastor Russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org. We would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey. We have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.